And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? Doing very well. Today, it's just the first espresso when I'm on this show, as opposed to the (laughs) second double that I usually down before we do our Thursday show. So just on the first one today, but I am doing very well. Kind of a, I like the vibes of maybe doing this on a Friday morning. We get to react to some stuff. I got some more injury reports to look at another day. It was actually like, oh, they haven't practiced yet. We're not sure. Kind of nice. But no, I'm doing awesome. How are you today, Robert? Doing okay. I appreciate you guys sticking with us. We released this a little bit later, dealing with some family stuff yesterday, so it means a lot that you guys are understanding. But we are recording this on Friday morning, which is giving us a chance to react to the Thursday night game in a way that we don't typically do on this show. We didn't do a Thursday night recap yesterday because we thought it would be a sort of forgettable game between Aiden O'Connell and Easton Stick. Yeah. Felt like it was an okay choice in week 15 where it's like, yeah, you know what? We're going to take this one off. It's been a long season. Instead, we get a Raiders blowout and what really did feel like the end of the Brandon Staley era in Los Angeles. Everyone saw the game. We all know what happened in the game. I don't think we have to rehash what happened in the game. I had it on the second TV down in my basement while I was watching TV with my wife. And she's very rarely engaged in football. But even she, as she was watching it, she's like, this is embarrassing. After the Jack Jones pick, she very seriously was like, man, that's embarrassing. She saw the the score at one point in the second half. She goes, they should just stop the game. Why don't they just stop the game? There was genuine disgust. And she just never cares. So listening to her roast the Chargers last night was very funny. I, I don't think we need to rehash any of that. But I do want to talk about the Brandon Staley regime probably coming to an end and where this might have gone off the rails, considering how enthusiastic some people, including me, were when he was hired to take I over mean, this team. I was too. <laughs> I mean, when he was hired, I think I a lot, of, I think yeah, a lot not, of people were. Not just and you. So I, <laughs> and I, so, but I, I do want to, I, I don't want to run away from that. And I do want to sit in that a little bit. We'll have plenty of time to do actual forensics on this as we look back on it and we talk about what the, where they should go from here. I encourage people to read the piece that Daniel Popper wrote on The Athletic this morning. Uh, he obviously has a front row seat to this and he pretty much said flat out, there need to be a lot of changes here. And I think that that's correct. But if you're going back and trying to figure out how we got to this point, from where we were after he got hired. The first place that I would start is I think that he probably stretched himself a little bit too thin in terms of his scope within that building, the responsibilities that he took on. He wanted to call and oversee the defense while having a hand in shaping the offense. And I think the defense suffered as a result of that. And it's going to be easy for people to look at what happened in 2020 and say, he had Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. And I understand that and I get it. But I still disagree with painting it in that simple of terms. Other coaches have had two elite players, even Hall of Fame players, and they have not built what was comfortably the best defense in the league. The Rams had those guys the year before, and they weren't that sort of defense. He was doing some real innovative things, and it wasn't just me who saw that. It was people who know a lot more about defensive football than I do. 
And the defense in LA just never looked or felt like a good defense. And I'd be lying if I could understand why. I'd like to study it a little bit more, but I also think part of it is the attention that was put on it. A lot of guys who shape and call one side of the ball as a head coach, they contract out the other side. And that didn't happen. So I think that the defense suffered as a result. And I also think that the staff and the way that it was built compared to what he had in Los Angeles probably played a role. Ajiro Evero was on that staff. Mm-hmm. We know what he has done since. Aubrey Pleasant, who was a well-regarded cornerbacks coach, was on that staff. Eric Henderson, their defensive line coach. Both of those guys are still on the staff in LA, which is right now getting the most out of the talent that they have on that roster. So I think that's also part of it. And there were a lot of changes on the defensive staff in LA the last couple of years. He hired Ronaldo Hill. He was gone. They brought Derek Ainsley in from college. Tommy Donatell got elevated. It never felt like he had the right staff there that they had built in Los Angeles. And that's on the head coach, purely. It is on. It, that is one of the responsibilities. These are not excuses. These no. are trying to figure out how this stuff happens. That's on the head coach. And I think that there were probably times where the scope of the, proje- scope of the job overall prevented him from doing what he did best. And again, that's not an excuse. And that's why this job is different than a coordinator job. And it's why it's incredibly hard to be successful in this job while judging the responsibilities of two separate jobs. Some guys can do it and thrive and some guys can't. And I think that he reached a point where he really struggled with it. Yeah, it's a lot of responsibilities. It's different hats. Every position coach to coordinator to head coach are three wildly different jobs. Assistant position coach like I was is a wildly different job like it's just everything is a different hat you have to wear and we've commended guys like a guy like Sean McVay oh he comes into the Rams and he just gives it to Wade Phillips on the defensive side says yep you got it (laughs) carte blanche you do what you want I'll just ask hey what you guys got going on all right cool that sounds good and I get it when you're your first time head coach you want to make sure everything's kind of okay well I got I gotta get this right I gotta get this right and then so I'm gonna make sure the offense is what we want it to be but that's just a lot you're stretched thin being a CEO is hard. Being a, like an active CEO who's also middle management is very hard. I also think that this regime suffered from a very human thing that happens to a lot of people. And it's that mode of thinking where you say, well, if we just get this, yeah. everything will be solved. Yeah. If I just get my guys on defense, everything of, will be solved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if we just get this position group and we gut it and refresh the talent, we'll fix it. If I just get a new OC, everything will be fixed. If we just get a new training staff, everything will be fixed. And I do think that that being proactive should be rewarded, but I also think that that's a really dangerous way of looking at things. At times, I think that there was probably a lack of humility in the process over there and a tendency to believe that this group saw things that other people couldn't see, and that can be a scary place to be. Mm. Sometimes that leads to innovation. Sometimes that leads to you being very alone as you fail. Yeah, check your and hubris. I, that's exactly right. <laughs> and I, I was talking. To, I was talking to another coach yesterday, just catching up, and he said something to me that he tells his staff for every year. He says, "Don't even try to predict how the season is going to go. You can't." No. And that willingness to accept uncertainty feels like such a big departure from the tone of this Chargers regime over the last couple of years. And I think that that's something to think about. And finally, I just think that the talent on this team has been overrated for way too long. We've talked about it all year. You see the names and you think the roster's talented and it's just not true. And that's why it's probably time for a change at general manager for them to nuke this thing and just start over completely. But that's not to give Staley a pass either because this roster was (laughs) built with the way he wanted it to be with his guys. And that (laughs) final result was incredibly underwhelming. 
So again, we'll have plenty of time to talk about this stuff more in detail. I'd love to ch- have Daniel on at some point this offseason yeah. and really dig into this mm-hmm. and figure out where the Chargers go from here. But if I'm putting together a quick eulogy for this era of Chargers football, those are the pieces that I would want to hit. You nailed it. Uh, I think the pieces never made sense, especially for the style that they wanted to play, especially on defense. I thought the offense was a lot of ideas of as opposed to actual thoughts of what they could do and how they fit together, especially for an offense that was Joe Lombardi and Kellen Moore which needs certain things of how they like to run offense. I, I mean, more like the tight ends, which I've talked about a million, a gajillion times on the show. I thought your your point about Staley being stretched thin was very, and, and like when he actually did call plays and focused on the defense, you could feel it. Remember the exactly. second half of last year when he was like, exactly. I'm taking back over. It's like, look at this guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You got those moves. Like, that's that. That's why you could see it. So when he did focus on it, it was very good and very innovative. Actually, they did some really cool things last year on passing downs on third and fourth down. They gave the Dolphins a lot of issues that a lot of teams copied, and that that's something I just kept looking at. And also his stuff where when he was with the Rams, and you brought up the point about Donald and Ramsey. It's the the Facebook line, the Mark Zuckerberg line. If you and and I'm saying it's social network, not actually Mark Zuckerberg. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Is you know, if you would have invented Facebook, you would have invented Facebook. Like, yeah, like that's how that defense was. If you would have had an awesome defense with Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, you would have done it. And that's how I've always come back to it. He did it though. There's a reason they've sought out a new defensive coordinator that year. Yeah, and that you know, so it's just it's it's very naughty as most of these things are. It's just a lot of domino effects that just have led us to this point. I thought you're. I think we have pounded the table about how they're star players because they have five guys ish that they pay around twenty million dollars. Those guys aren't impact players. Uh, James uh, is just been. Oh my god, that's uh, the scariest one because they just paid. That's he's, the scariest one. That's the one where they bring in right a now. where they bring in a new staff. That's the guy they need to salvage, in my yeah. opinion, because of what they have spent on him and what he was supposed to be in their yes. team building process. I kept coming back to that as I watched them last night. He's the guy because it's not just like where he's average, where you're like, oh boy. It's like, no, he's a negative player where he's getting highlighted. The week last week against the Broncos, he's busting on a coverage and it leads to a wide open Lucas Kroll. And I'm watching and I'm like, I could tell you the coverage. I'm not trying to just say term three match. Everyone runs this. It's like he's probably run it a hundred times just this season. And it's he busts on it. And it's like, you're supposed to be the vet, the smart, aware vet. And again, it's just they can't rely on the guys that are supposed to be your stars. Keenan Allen played his ass off this year. But again, he's fading. And Cleo Mack had a really good year. Cleo but Cleo Mack, Mack is into his 30s. Cleo Mack yes. didn't play this way last year. Joey Bosa has not been on the field. Mike this Williams idea we have again. of the team is a mirage. And part that part of that blame lays at Brandon Staley's feet. He is not blameless there. So I think you don't. I don't want to blame the roster and not blame the head coach. It's you're doing it at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. 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 He has a huge role in shaping this thing. At the end of the day, again, we'll talk about this a lot more over the next couple months. They need to start over completely. Yeah. I think that they just need to press the reset button. We have this guy at quarterback. We have a left tackle that's still on a rookie contract. He's even regressed. We need to do everything that we can to figure out what the next stage of this should look like and who should be in charge. And I think that has to be... The owner should just bring in Justin Herbert for every head coach meeting. Just be like, this is what we got. Like, (laughs) Come on, hey, you want to come here? That's the other part of this, though, before we wrap this up. The owners need to take a long look in the mirror about how they want to handle this. Because you have a real quarterback here. You have an asset. But guess what? You had one for 15 years before this, and you still never did enough. So what do you want to be? 
Do you want to be a team that's going to waste this guy for the next decade again? Or do you want to open your checkbook a little bit and say, we're going to bring in the right people to oversee this? Because in a lot of ways, based on the quarterback alone, we might have the most attractive coaching job of any single one of these that's going to come open. And I think that's a conversation the Spanos family has to have with itself over the next couple months as they kickstart this process. Also, Daniel Popper might come on the show, but check out his timeline from last night and the article. But his timeline (laughs) last night was, you didn't even have to watch the game. Just read his timeline. It's it's fantastic. So check out Popper's Twitter because it, that was a enjoyable read as I was watching that game off and on in between episodes of The Crown because I turned the game on, Ooh. turned it off, turned it back on, and then I saw 63. Or I had I turned it off, then turned it back on when I saw 63. So I was like, you know, you got to watch the car wreck. It's kind of one of those things. <laughs> we're, my wife and I always have a 30-minute comedy that we're just breezing through in dead time and we're Great. watching Will and Grace right now. And so it was a very disorienting experience watching season one of Willow Grace, just a very 90s thing happening that- in front of me as this train wreck of a Chargers game happens on the top left TV. When did it come out? 96, I feel like? Na- no, no, no. It was 98. 98. So it was, I think that season one was like yep, 98, 98, 98, 98. Yep. 98. John yeah. Slattery was on there and like yeah. a very early cameo. Just, just a lot show. of weird stuff happening, but I've been like, thoroughly enjoying it. It's like okay. watching Gilmore Girls. I saw young John Hamm on there. It's like, that, that, those are the types of things that pop like, up when you're watching those very hey. 90s comedies. We've watched it for like two straight nights. We're still not out of season one. That's the how it goes. Net- network sitcoms were wild, man. Yes. It's a wild experience. 22 back episodes. Then. Oh my God. I know. It's unrelenting <laughs> episode stream. Let's get to everything else that's happening this week because there's a lot of great games on the docket. And let's start with what is probably the game of the week, and that's Cowboys Bills. A really notable week last week for each of these teams because they answered questions we wanted to see answered. The lingering question about the cheat the Bills was, all right, if we're talking about them as the most dangerous wildcard team, if they were to get in, they need to start beating some of these teams. Mm-hmm. They need to start making up some ground and get through the back half of the schedule and at least get into the dance if they're going to make some noise. And they go out and they beat the Chiefs and I think answer some of those questions. For the Cowboys, it was, can they beat an elite team? Can they actually move beyond destroying some of these also rands that they've been beating up over the last six weeks and actually knock off one of the the good teams in the NFL. And they did that against the Eagles. And now the question becomes a week later, can they do it again? Yeah. Because now that it's still here, those same questions come up again because of the team that they're playing this weekend. The fact that this is bills minus two, I think says a lot about the way the Vegas sees these two teams yeah. and the fact that, we're not wrong to consider the Bills one of these teams that if they were to get in, they would be really dangerous. Yeah, that that interesting line. And I think it's a fair line. Uh it was I think it was two and a half minutes. Now it's going a little bit more towards the Cowboys side. And then it's just the but the fact that the Vegas sees this as almost a neutral matchup, especially how we talk about the Cowboys, shows you the respect that we should always give this Bills team, especially yeah. Josh Allen, especially this offense, but how you framed it in that we do it again. That's what both of these teams have to do, especially on the defensive side for the Bills. And that's the mm-hmm. what that's really what I'm focusing on. So I was gonna ask you, what yeah. is the one thing you want to see from each of these teams that would lead you to believe, okay, this might be real? Like this momentum yeah. that they're starting to build might be real. Let's start with the Bills. What is the one thing you need to see from the Bills for you to believe that this is real? The defense has to hold up for 60 minutes, especially against a very good unit. You just think who they would have to play in the playoffs. You're gonna play, you might play the Ravens, you might play the Chiefs, you might play the Dolphins, you might play all these top-tier offenses. So I want to see them hold up throughout 60 minutes as opposed to just that I made the joke about them opening script. Like they're like an opening script offense where it's really good at the beginning because they have so much game plan stuff. Can they do it again against a Cowboys offense that's legit? So I, I want to see them. I feel like 
what they did against the Eagles was so impressive, at least until it kind of fell apart, you know, at the end. But like, you know, they really gave them issues. Now you're going against Dak Prescott and this offense. What game plan funkiness is McDermott going to come up with? Because that's what they're doing right now, which I think is really cool because this defense used to be very static and very like, we're running quarters, beat it. Like, that's what you had to do. Now they're like rotating guys, moving guys from the line of scrimmage all the way back. So it's kind of cool to see this gameplay and stuff. So I want to see this Bills defense do it again. What gameplay and stuff to just limit and just make it a little bit tough on Dak Prescott in this offense. The difference between this defense at full strength and the Eagles defense that we've seen over the last month or so is that the spine of this defense, at least in the secondary, not at linebacker, is yeah. supposed to be one of their strengths. Taron Johnson, the safeties. Yep. Mike Hyde, still not practicing and might not play in this game. Saw that. So I think that is absolutely something to think about. And AJ Epinesa, who has been a really good player for them along yeah. the defensive line. He has been impactful in ways yep. that he was not in years past. He also is not practicing. So just two things to keep in mind. Putting you on the spot here, but if you're building that game planning approach for oh, yeah. the Bills this week, where would you start against this Cowboys offense? Oh, boy. Uh, where's CD at? Okay. All right. There he is. All right. So if CD is on the outside, I am doing what they did against the Eagles, which is clouding cover two to his side. That is every single time he's on the outside and saying, yeah, Brandon Cooks has had been doing well. The Bills are also 32nd in DVOA against number two receivers. So keep that in mind. Uh, but make them beat you. Just take, I, I think that's what you have to live with. And also the run game with the Cowboys has kind of been up and down. They are a true pass heavy team, which is just the funniest thing in the world from how Mike <laughs> McCarthy talked about this offseason. Again, remember when we really broke is. it down? Yeah. Remember when we were breaking down the stats? We're like, how can they be more run? Like, what? Like, how? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's like, oh, he just totally hoodwinked all of us <laughs> as the season's gone along. So I would take away, you have to take away CD. And you bet that can Brandon Cooks and Jake Ferguson beat us for 60 minutes. That I think that's how you have to go about it. So I would also – I would not blitz. I, I You do not blitz Dak, I, I think. But you do have to funky up the looks, looks and maybe hopefully catch him. Kind of maybe do what I know what you know kind of situations. Invert a coverage. You know, give him like just those kind of like – he thinks he has this and maybe just the post-snap rotation. Dak is one of the best at identifying what you're about to do. So I think you have to go very much off your typical stuff because Dak is going to be very honed in. Okay, the safety's on the hash. They're in an under front. They're going to probably – this is probably what's going to happen. So I, I think you have to funky up some looks. But I don't mean that in like a blitz-heavy Todd Bowles way, but I mean more in like run every coverage possible to try and make him guess wrong once. You talk about the Cowboys running game being an afterthought this year. The Chiefs running game had been an afterthought for most of this season, and they ran the ball very efficiently against the Bills. When we were talking yes. about the Bills last week before the Kansas City game, we talked about how they've struggled to defend two things at once. They've got whack-a-mole problems defensively. So if they're going to devote all of these resources to slowing Dak down, which I think is the correct approach, yes. and they still struggle against this Dallas running game that has not been very good this year, that's another alarm bell to me. That is worth paying attention to. And that could be very – say they do do that and they're like, hey, we're taking CD out and we're making making you run it. And the Cowboys do have a nice day running it. That would actually just be another huge feather in the cap for the Cowboys because it's mm -hmm. like, oh, now you can pivot to that. Because that's been – you know, they, they're messing with the runbacks. I always mess up his name. Rico Dowdle. Dowdle? Rico Dowdle, yeah. Dowdle, I, I like Rico Dowdle. I like him. But they're – they're getting him in, and he's providing the element that's different than Pollard, a little more thumpy. Um, he's got some juice, though, uh, but you know, a little more short yardage stuff. So if they could just be efficient, they don't have to be great, but just be an average-ish unit at running the ball, that could be a huge, huge thing for him. 
All right, same question about the Cowboys. What do you yeah. need to see from the Cowboys this week that would lead you to believe they can keep this going? Just gush about their offense, so it's probably going to be their defense, which is pretty funny. Wait, Isn't consider- that so funny? And that's how I feel about this game, too. After all of the energy that we have spilled oh. over the last year, worrying about Dak and worrying about Mike McCarthy and worrying about Josh Allen's turnovers, as I think about what I need to see from both of these teams, I lean toward the defense with both of them, the which is a crazy defense, place to land. Our preseason number one defense. Like, <laughs> it has played well. Uh, they That Seattle game, I still chalk it up to a little bit of arrogance. Uh, rewatching it, there's just some missed moments. Gino was on fire. They did well against Philly, but Gino Philly- was on fire. On fire. He was on fire. I rewatched that game yesterday. He made like six insane mm-hmm. throws. Anyway, not to get too bogged no, no, down, but, but still, I think it's important to remember that. It's like, yeah, okay. Well, now they're going against Josh Allen, so good luck. Uh, but but they did well against Philly. But again, Philly did move the ball until those turnovers. Like so, it's like it wasn't like Philly was totally not just three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. The Cowboys did do some nice things blitzing, which I really liked. Uh, they they had five blitzes on third and fourth down, just wiped out Hurts on those. And I think that was encouraging. But they again, this is a team that you're going against an elite offense. Can you actually do it? Because now, like recently, you went against kind of like an ailing Eagles team. You caught them with a couple turnovers. They're still moving the ball. Are you going to be able to stop this team that can pound it on you? Because the Bills can. They can be a spread run team, but they can pound it. They run duo as much as anybody, which is a physical run, and they're good at it. Can you stop that? Because I think that's an interesting style that the Bills have that I'm curious with the Cowboys. We always talk about what what do we worry about the Cowboys? Oh, the 49ers and fullbacks and tight ends because they're so light. Now they're going against a spread team. Now, okay, how do you well, stop that? Well, their inability to s- stop spread runs is yeah. one of the things that I'm worried about because the Cowboys match bodies with bodies. If you're going to play 11 personnel, they're very comfortable playing in dime and playing mm-hmm. with really light boxes. They load the box if you load up. So last game, when the Eagles were running 12 personnel runs on early downs, it looked like garbage. When they were running spread runs on early yes. downs, it looked great. And the Bills are second in the NFL this year in rushing success rate out of 11 personnel. Makes sense. The Cowboys are 23rd in defensive rushing success rate out of 11 personnel. So I would love to see the Bills lean into that as their run game. Think about all the tackle pull stuff they've done out oh, of yeah. 11 personnel. I think that lends very well to this Dallas team. And then maybe in a way that seems counterintuitive – I think that they should load up to throw the ball because, again, the Cowboys match bodies with bodies. So if you're going to play 12 personnel, the Cowboys have played with heavy boxes on like a a very high percentage of 12 personnel snaps for offenses they played against this year. It's like one of the top five rates in the Mm -hmm. league because they have their guys are so light that they need to attack the the problem with bodies. And they'll play man. So if if you bring your guys in, they're going to watch. They're going to follow them inside. So try to wad up some stuff and maybe take some shots out of 12 personnel on early downs. I really like that. And I also think that this current version of the Bills offense lends well to taking advantage of one specific thing where the Cowboys struggle. Because they play so much man and because their defense is so funky, they struggle against motion sometimes. Mm -hmm. And the amount of just increased motion at the snap and dynamic feel to this Bills offense since Joe Brady took over. That's the biggest difference to me. And that's why this Bills offense is a much different challenge than the Eagles team that the Cowboys faced last week. It's just a very different set of problems. And I think this set of problems is something to watch when you consider where this Cowboys defense is. And we have harped on this for a calendar year, almost 11 months, almost about how this Bills offense and no matter who's calling plays, Dorsey or Brady, and how they've reconfigured and are trying to find different pivot points. This is a game that they need it. 
This is the mm-hmm. game that that's like, hey, we want to get under center, or run play action, or run run the ball from under center, just like you're talking about. Do we get? Do we just lean into our death lineup eleven personnel? This is where Khalil Shakir and Gabe Davis and their blocking ability unlocks so much. That's why they're so good running out of eleven and some of the other other looks. The digs. Gilmore matchup is going to be fascinating too. And that, you think that, he'll follow him the way he did AJ Brown last week? I think so because he's the true, true, true number one. And I think a lot of teams are having success against the Eagles in going focus, just like I was talking about with the CD, focus on AJ Brown and make everything else, everyone else step up over and over. Even if Devontae Smith and Goddard are good, I think it's the same kind of formula for when you play the Cowboys. Yeah, it makes sense. Oh, I was sorry, watching sorry, some yeah. of this stuff. The, I was watching some of the stuff the Seahawks were doing and just getting bland on the move again with some of the motions. I think that's probably a good idea, but yeah. that's for your number one receiver. That's what you're the guy that you're trying to that's feed DK. a little bit. And if, if yeah. bland is sitting there on Khalil Shakir or Gabe Davis or whoever, I think that that plan changes a little bit. So yeah, it's going to be a fascinating then, matchup. Kurt, I cannot Kurt, wait to watch this game. Curse gets against Kincaid is going to be a fun yeah. matchup. Well, you got the tight end eraser versus a very dynamic tight end. I know. So like, even if you ask me like who someone asked me, who's your player prop in this game? I'd be like, ah, Maybe James Cook over, like, rushing, but it's just, I don't know where the ball is going to go. It's going to be very, very interesting to watch this game unfold. The one other thing when the Bills are on offense, again, getting back to that loaded up thing, the Cowboys run a lot of funky versions of cover two on early downs where they're rotating back into it. Take a shot. Have yeah, some yeah. somebody just trying from the slot, just run. Just yeah. take one big play action shot from the slot on early downs because they're literally not going to be able to get back there. The Eagle, the Seahawks almost caught them where the linebackers trying to run to the post in cover two, yes. and he just can't keep up with a wide receiver that's taking off at the snap. Mm-hmm. So that's what I want to see on early downs. Try to load up and take some shots because I think something might be there. Absolutely. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. All right, another big game here that I think also deserves game of the week treatment is the Ravens and the Jaguars. 
Again, Ravens minus three, close game potentially. Two teams that are up near the top of the standings in the AFC. But some things have changed over the last couple weeks. The Jags were playing potentially to be the number one seed in the AFC when they played against Jake Browning on Monday Night Football a couple weeks ago. Now they've lost two in a row. (laughs) (laughs) They've lost two in a a row. The Dolphins just lost to the Titans. So now you have the Ravens who are sitting there at the top of the AFC. So before we get into this game specifically, I wanted to ask you, if we're doing a little AFC hierarchy check-in right now, and you're picking your favorite team to win the AFC or the team you feel best about in the AFC at this moment, who would it be? It's between two, and but I'm going to end up going with the Chiefs here. And I, it's going to be... Gonna be a little okay. bit of explanation, right. yeah. I feel okay. All right. <laughs> the Ravens are the right. other one, but it's I'm going with the Chiefs, and it's uh, it's a lot of marinating on this one, but I, that's what I end up going with. Uh, not the, not nothing against the Baltimore Ravens, but <laughs> want me to get into why? Yes, please. <laughs> okay, I know this is a very leaning into the punch moment right here, but uh, hold on, let me let me get into why what my ammunition on this one. Okay, so I I do think that this team is okay. Besides the obvious, oh yeah, they have Mahomes, and oh yeah, they have Andy Reid, and oh yeah, they have Steve Spagnola, some of the best game planny coaches ever. Game to game game plan is on offense and defense. Mahomes, the offensive line, even with Donovan Smith getting hurt, uh, Wanya actually stepped in, and played okay in his first kind of extended start. And I just we didn't notice him, which is probably a good thing, right? Exactly. <laughs> that's that's huge. Trey Smith has taken a little bit of step back this year, but at guard. But having said all that, I trust the offensive line. The run game has really gotten there since since their bye week. They've gone from being like a terrible run, you know, like bottom five to now a top 10-ish unit, top eight, top 10, about every metric since their bye week. And I think that is a v- more than the receiver stuff. That is the number one thing. I've said this on the show already, but it's the receiver stuff. I, I get it. The mistakes are annoying. They have more penalties per snap on offense than any other team in the league, which is just, and I think most of them are on the receivers. Uh, and just, of course, that's going to be annoying. But you just got to hope that, again, these young players get going. I think running the ball. This is the most you thing ever. Why? This, you know, the receiver, Mahomes and the receivers will figure it out. As long as the run game is there, they're going to be okay. As long as the run game is there, they're going to be okay. All this consternation about the receivers, all these mistakes. This is still a top five unit. Not just me going like, oh, I hopefully think they can get there. They literally are a top five unit. Every metric, my eyes. <laughs> like that, that's the two things I look at. So I, the down to down sustainability, the ups that this offense can hit, of course, with Mahomes, it's really first and second down. They just got to stay ahead of the chains. That's the number one thing. That's what the drops are mostly happening on first and second down, which then leads to second and 10 and then third and 10. And that's, of course, the drops, their, their drops are ridiculous. It's, it's, they've lost more EPA from the receiver drops than any other team in the league. It's at a rate that's just, I think is unsustainable because it's just like, come on, guys. Enough with Kadarius Tony. Get him off the field. I'm done. I get it. He has juice. Just give all those touches to Rasheed Rice. And okay, that's the offense. <laughs> the defense, I still think, is a top 10 unit. Even with some of the injuries, they still have Chris Jones. The linebackers, Bolton's back out there. They, uh, I know they lost Cook. But I think all these DBs and what they're doing, this unit, and again, this unit usually ascends in the second half under, under Steve Spagnuolo. They were so good at the first half that I was like, oh, this is weird. And they've kind of maintained it. They've had some blips. You can run on them a little bit, but that's kind of typical of this type of defense. They're funky. That's what's going to happen. That's the natural weakness of doing what Steve Spagnuolo does. But I also think that's Steve, it's Spags in the playoffs with legit pieces and legit dudes. So this formula in my head, some of it's narrative. 
but some of it is what I see. And it's a, I, some of it, a lot is some of it is a lot of benefit of the doubt. It's it a lot of earned equity, and I'm not saying that's unfair. I think that it's probably worth looking at it that yep. way when you consider the history with some of these guys. Right. But to me, it's just very funny, and I don't necessarily disagree with you. But it's harder for me to get the receiver stuff out of my head, even if intellectually I understand that don't, drops don't continue at this sort of pace. Right. Right. Hey, hey, Ritter doesn't keep turning it over, right? Like that's the, you know, <laughs> I just keep betting. It. It's just going to work out, right? Hey, just keep betting black. It's going to, it's, it's going to turn. Uh, no, but, but I really do think when I watch it, cause I was, I was frustrated as everybody. I'm like, man, this Chiefs team just can't get out of their own way. And then I watch them and it's just like, they're fine. Like they move the ball. Like they're, they're marching on guys. Rasheed Rice can't fumble it. Like he has one where he's trying to get more yards and he fumbles. They're getting those brutal young player turnovers right now. And I just, again, I'm betting on the quarterback, the offensive line. They still have Kelsey. He's more about, Kelsey's about 85% right now. I, I that's, will. That's also what concerns me here is yeah. that if we think about the recipe last season as to why they were the best offense in the league, even with an underwhelming set of wide receivers specifically, Travis Kelsey was playing at an elite, elite yeah. level, as good as he's ever been. And if you have an 85% version of Kelsey as part yeah. of this equation, does it come out the same yeah. on the other side? And I don't know the answer to that. I, I have my doubts about it. And this is my last thing for it. And again, this more, might be more narrative. This might be headcanon in my head. I also think they're galvanized by what happened the last couple of weeks. And oh, I think man, they're- you're, you're, you're really telling yourself a story here. I appreciate I it. <laughs> I am. Hey, I did it last year and it worked. Uh, and I, I really do think it's just, I, I'm again, I, I, if you asked me this on Sunday, I would say the Ravens. And then I, I kind of still lean there, but I watched them and I'm watching all 22 and I'm like, this is a good team. We're getting, we're up in arms against them losing to other good teams. It's not like they lost the freaking, I'm just trying to make, think of a team, the Cardinals. Well, the Cowboys lost to the Cardinals, but, uh, you know, uh, this Easton stick, they didn't lose to them. And I was just like, oh man, you know, they lost to the Broncos who are playing good ball. They lost to the Packers who are playing good ball until they played DeVito. They are playing all these teams. They, oh man, they struggle against the Dolphins. Turned out the Dolphins have like a top three defense since they got, since Jalen Ramsey came back. A lot of these things are, I think there's a lot of these plays are just standing out. I get it. They're very frustrating. The Bills Cowboys game is almost even uh, in terms of the line. And the Bills beat the Chiefs by three points last week. Yes. One offensive offsides away from the Chiefs potentially winning that game. And the Eagles game. Close, close games against these good teams. If they beat the Eagles and Bills, everyone's going, man, this Chiefs team's a contender again. And those are just coin flips. And those are why I, I think, again, I know I'm telling myself a story. I, I like how you said that because I am. But why I'm not as worried as others, those are the best teams. It's not like, yeah. again, they're losing to some fluky team, some bad team. It's like, man, they should have beat them. So that's why maybe I'm not as you know up in arms about this. And I still think that they'll come together. It's, it's going to be – it's fun. <laughs> that's why I wanted to go on a limb on it. I, I'm still going with the Ravens. Yeah. I just like what the Ravens are doing on both sides of the ball. I think that that Rams team they played against last week is doing – some truly innovative stuff on offense and they are a beast to deal with Kyle Hamilton's out for a good now. chunk of that game. Yeah. They, I, they are. And this Rams, def- this Ravens defense is fantastic. And I think against most teams in the NFL, you're going to see that. And they play two really good offenses down the stretch. We're going to have some very cool answers to who the Ravens are with the game against, they're going to play against the dolphins and they play against the Niners before the season ends. So some real measuring stick games for the defense, but I still feel good about where that group is at. And I still am really optimistic about the offense. I just think that this version of who they are, I like the pivot points. They're an elite rushing team. They can hit you with that if that's the way the game is going. But their ability to drop back and throw the ball in games where they need to, that's the difference between this Ravens team and the Ravens teams we've seen over the last couple of years. 
you yeah. talk about Lamar's playoff record and how they've struggled. In the playoffs, you need to pivot. We've talked about this for years. You need to be able to have different versions of who you are offensively and defensively. Defensively, have the utmost faith in their ability oh, yeah. to draw up a game plan against whoever they're going against based on the talent, based on Mike McDonald. Offensively, they never had that in the past. That was the weakness of what the Greg Roman Ravens were. I don't feel that way anymore. I think throwing out Lamar's playoff record as you're trying to be pessimistic about the Ravens, you're talking about a different version of a team and you're talking about a different version of a quarterback in a lot of ways. So I just think that this Ravens team is so much better equipped than they've ever been with him at quarterback to do some damage in the postseason. And that's why I'm most excited about that. I, 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 do trust exactly what you're talking about the offense and i love every week they do everything and I, I, that's what's hilarious about this offense which also should commend should speak more to lamar being able to handle it and run it well like he's making the right reads again lamar's plays funky in the, from the pocket but it's right <laughs> he goes to the right spot every time and he can throw just as i we've joked about many times stafford lamar was hilarious to go against each other so it's also tricks. funny that people are starting to notice that because that's something I've harped on for years, where it's, watching them play stylistically, I think there are a lot of similarities. So seeing them just go haymaker for haymaker against great. each other and have people get a sense of what's similar about them was very cool to watch in real time. The thing I am did that the Rams did pick at, and this is what's so interesting as the season goes along, was they pounded the rock on them. Mm-hmm. Ro- Roquan Smith, as amazing as he is, he'll be an all first-team All-Pro this year, as he should be. He... Is and I talked to Derek Klassen about this. We were kind of joking, and the world's number one Roquan Smith fan, Derek yes. Klassen, and we both agreed. We both like Smith. Doesn't take on blocks in the run game. Ducks He's under, undersized. He ducks under, and when you run duo like the Rams did, that takes advantage of that because they run into blocks, and then the running back, if like Kyron Williams was able to bounce out, and that first drive by the Rams, by the way, was oh my god, nine straight runs. <laughs> it was something after my own heart. Not as five different run concepts, all of them worked. Oh, just beautiful stuff. Um, why I'm bringing all that up is they play the 49ers. What the 49ers like to do pound the freaking rock. That's play- the game I want to watch. That's the game oh, yeah. I want to see. I want to see preview. what they look like against the Niners. That That is that, my, probably my favorite game of the year in a lot of ways. Oh, I yeah. cannot wait to sit Christmas down on Christmas and watch that game. But that's why I wanted to bring that up because, okay, Niners and then Dolphins, another team with a run game. How they play against those, even if they're stylistically different, well, not really, it's the same formation fa- or the same family of offense, but they get about it in a different way. They how absolutely they, do. How they combat the run will be, I'm interested to see, because that's starting to, some teams are starting to pick at that against the Ravens. Like, hey, why not deal with all this funkiness? Let's just pound it. Um, it was, but the thing was, you also have to have coaches that can work for it. If you watch, you watch what Sean McVay was trying to do every single snap, shifting, motion, motion, like he always does, but they're trying to get the Ravens to, Get, they're trying to get the Ravens set in, in a manner that was more conducive for the offense. But that was the one thing I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That's a little bit more of a weakness than I thought. And that's come playoff time. That's going to be interesting. But I do think this Ravens team is very good because of what they're doing on offense. I also think they have a lot of answers. Even with Mark Andrews out, like having three receivers that can win one-on-one is huge in playoff time. You <laughs> it's can't... so fun to watch. It's so different than it's ever been. That's why I'm enjoying it. It's, it's great. so different. It's like an air it's raid so receiver room. Like that's what it feels like. It feels like a Texas Tech receiver room almost. There's all these slant and crosser runners just going everywhere. It's great. 
Um, but again, that one little defensive weakness is kind of sticking in the back of my mind. So um, that's what kind of did put me over the edge, even if I do think the Ravens are a very good team. I think there are three teams this year as we're looking at some of the bigger curves of innovation around the league and how defenses have caught up to most offenses mm-hmm. around the NFL. I think that there is one specific group of offenses that still is a half a step ahead. Not surprisingly, it is the offenses that you would think. It's the Niners, it's the Dolphins, and it's the Rams. It's the people who come from the same place. And we will we just saw the Ravens against one of them, and we will see the Ravens against the two others before the end of the season. So I think, again, we're going to learn a lot about who this Ravens defense is by the time the regular season and ends. And you know who gets the honorable mention? The floor with the Packers. Exactly. And that's, I didn't mention him because they're not playing against <laughs> and, him. And but, I guess the Mike McCarthy's stuff is hilarious with the Cowboys. It's just old school stuff. They just do it. They just have a quarterback that's a supercomputer that just like could operate it perfectly. But it's, that's what's funny is Mike McCarthy's seen. Everyone's like, man, he's so innovative this year. He's around stuff from 2006. It's just that they have a quarterback that, that could operate and the, perfectly. And the motions that dress it up are a yeah. little bit different. That, yeah. That's the thing it that helps. feels different to me. But again, a lot of it is stuff he's stealing from it's what these teams are doing. Oh, so yeah. it all Everybody. comes back to it in it's, the end. It's really funny when you watch teams play against a team and then the next week steal what they saw. So like the, everyone that's played the Rams has stolen their runs. Steelers, Jaguars, uh, or Jaguars were using their tape for something else. Uh, I've seen three different teams steal their motion on some stuff. And I thought that was hilarious. So we just talked about the Ravens and the Chiefs, and I think those are, to me, the clear answers. How far are the Dolphins away from this conversation right now, in your mind? It, if When I first sat down, I would I was like, man, they're a totally different tier. Like, oh, man, they're not closer than I initially assumed, but I okay. do think they're in a different tier. I think the Dolphins are kind of in a tier by themselves right now, really. Hold on, let me look at the standings. I think right that's now. fair, and yeah. we'll talk about the Jags here in a second. I think that's yeah. fair. Yeah, I, I do. I, I would say, yeah, the Jags are probably a little bit below that. Yeah, so I, I think the Dolphins – defense and they should be commended since Jalen Ramsey came back even with Jalen Phillip Jalen Phillips's injury has been playing like a top five unit uh against the run and the pass uh, I think of course Ramsey bumping outside letting Coho bump into the slot has helped their passing game I think the front has played phenomenal football uh starting with that Chiefs game that I already mentioned earlier in the show uh but since week eight when Ramsey returned this team defense is second best in success rate fourth best in EPA per play they're one of the best teams stopping the run. They have 44 quarterback hits, which is tied for third, and they they barely blitz. They no team runs uh, rushes with four pass rushers more than the Dolphins. Um, they need the safeties to come back and to return. That's a Fangio defense. Those guys have to be healthy if you want to want to see why Will Levis is launching <laughs> deep balls over and over. Safety play that that's another thing. And I think this um, the offense though is the offensive line injuries are always going to be a concern. And this, that's, this, that's what I can't get out of my head. It, it is the, so far. And Mike McDaniel now has done this for two years where every injury or stuff, he finds ways to mitigate it. And again, that's why outside of all the cool, awesome stuff, he has, has good bones <laughs> to his, to his structure. He has a good DNA. Weird. We were just talking about the offensive family he came from, but even that it's taken, taken its blows. This offense has had seven or more explosive plays in every single game, except one. And that one game they didn't, they had six. They've had 20 or more first downs in every single game. I look at that combined uh, success rate and explosive play rate, OPS, I call it. The 50% is league average. Like you, If you want to have like a good game, you have to be above 50%. They've only had one game below 50% this entire year. And again, they haven't had the hardest schedule, and I know that. But again, McDaniel's done a good job of mitigating it. I do think the offensive line woes will get them in the end when they do have to do the classic Shanahan thing, make them drop back. 
but that, that's where I'm at yeah. because that's that's the issue is that they've done such a good job of mitigating it during the regular season against average competition. When you have to have those pivot points in the playoffs, that's why I was so excited about them earlier in the season because the offensive line was playing so much better than it did last year yeah. and the quality of the players was just so much better. Austin Jackson got a this mid-tier right tackle contract tier that is starting to exist. Austin Jackson, Caleb McGarry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, some of these guys who are getting these deals. I wouldn't have thought he would have even been in that before the season, but no. he got that extension and that's I was totally fine with it because of the way that he's played. He's so played now well. you have you have reasonable right tackle play. Connor Williams was playing really well at center. He was. Was playing really well. And what they were getting out of Isaiah Wynn at left guard and Robert Hunt at right guard, they could run the ball at you in a way that they could not last season. Yes. And so that and that was such a big question for me in the second half. So as I watched that version of them early in the year, I was thinking, man, they can hit you in so many different ways. They're going to have those counter punches even against good teams. But as the offensive line injuries have started to pile up, Connor Williams is out for the season. They've been banged up at guard. Mm-hmm. You got Lester Cotton in there now. I think it's going to be harder for them to do that. So even if they can mitigate some of those issues in the regular season, when they play really good teams, I think they're going to struggle to find those different avenues. And that's why I think some of the concern about them not being able to beat elite teams is actually kind of real. Yeah. Because I think there are reasons for it, like very specific reasons. That's uh, Actually, it's nice when we get to this point in the schedule because I can narrow down how I think about these teams because I can go, well, they're probably going to play – if they're in the playoffs, they're going to probably play one of these teams and that's when you can start feeling how the matchups are. I think what's nice – because the first half of the year, like when we watched the Bills-Dolphins game when the Bills just went gangbusters, that Dolphins, that Dolphins defense sucked. Bottom five, bottom four unit. You could run on them. You could do whatever you want in the run game. You could get them in the empty and just pass on them. Now that's kind of got taken away, which is why it's the classic. Now the offense is taking a step back and the defense is taking a step forward. It's like, why can't you just have both? <laughs> why, why not both? Why? And what you're saying about the Dolphins O-line, I agree with. But it's also it's funny is that that's why we talk about the weapons the 49ers offensive line or offense has. But their offensive line has been one of their better units Kyle Shanahan's ever had. And that's helped Again, out a lot. size and physicality. It's allowed them to play in a way so that they much couldn't different. before. The and Dolphins I think can get that's into formation when they want to and run it. Like that's, or they were able to do that. They, so. could, they could. And they now could. the fact that they can, I think, is something to be it's concerned about. The Jags don't even feel like they're in this group. You just said the Dolphins felt like they were in their own tier. The Jags feel like they're in a little bit of a tailspin right now. Is there anything they can do to pull out of this potentially and maybe rejoin that conversation? Or do you think that that's passed? Get healthy. Uh, Andre Sisko has been battling some stuff and he's been such a key player for them. I, the linebackers are a huge concern, huge concern, uh, because of just how same old story, man. What's Dude. old is new again. Oh, it's just, it is the first half of the year. I was like, Hey, they're Devin Lloyd's doing a good job. You know, uh, uh, like, uh, uh Lua Khan's doing a good job. And then now since their bye week, which was in week nine, 20th and success rate, you're like, okay. All right, that's kind of actually what I thought this defense would kind of be at before this year, maybe 16th or so. 30th in passing success rate, 24th in sub, second most explosive passes allowed, 25th in defensive EPA per play. play. They are getting shredded on play-action concepts. That is the biggest concern to me, is is what teams are doing against them. Yes. They are – their biggest issue defensively, in my opinion, is that they are an easily manipulated defense. And I think that that is in two different areas – one, 
they play the run so hard and so well that you can just gash them on play action. The, the linebackers are just run and hit guys. And yep. if you're showing them something flashy, they're going to try to go run and hit it. The Jags are 31st in success rate against play action this year. They're allowing nine yards per play on play action this year, which is also 31st in the league. And then you compare that to what they do against the run. They're second in run defense success rate. So they can't have those two things at the same time. And I think yep. the teams are really starting to learn that. If you go back and watch the Bengals game, you go back and watch the Browns game. That's how they were just oh, the getting Browns. after them over and over and over again. <laughs> I don't think the Browns and are a straight drop back. <laughs> why so, would they? Because if you if you fake a toss, those guys are flying. Yeah. And that's what's happening consistently. The other part against the Browns is that this team that I was talking to an offensive coach that played against the Jags earlier this year, this week. And he was just saying that because they do so much funky stuff, they're going to have one, two, three busts a game. Oh, yeah. They're going to do that. And that's what you saw against the Browns. So those two factors. And then the third thing that I think is easily manipulatable is you can really play with how you want them to look based on formation. So they play with eight guys in the box 40% of the time when teams are under center. I'm pretty sure that's the second highest rate in the league. So if you know that that's a lever that you can just pull mm-hmm. on early downs, Again, easily manipulatable. And so now that we've gotten deeper into the season, I think teams have a much better sense for how they can get the Jags defense to play the way they want them to play. They've struggled to navigate that over the last few weeks specifically. Injuries are another thing. Tyson Campbell's been banged up. Even when he was on the field against the Bengals, he didn't look good. But I do think there are structural issues to be concerned about. Yeah. And again, you got to remember... Mike Caldwell is a Bulls guy and a Todd Bulls guy, and like the blitzing stuff isn't getting home either. So like Josh Allen's playing phenomenal football this year, but the rest of the guys, they the Jacks, just, Josh Allen, Jacks, Josh Allen, they yeah. both, both, it just works. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they they're not getting home on third and fourth down, which is what I kind of it's that's kind of their thing. And so if you're bringing blitzes and getting gashed and like okay, then now we're not having down to down sustainability on first and second down. That's like the kind of the mo of that Bulls defense. Stop the run all out. We Vita Vea with the Bucks, you know, like just stop the run, stop the run, make it into a third and long, and then here comes the funky stuff. But those aren't getting home, and you're getting gashed. It's a hard, uh, it's just a hard formula. The other thing you brought play action screens. This defense is terrible defending screens. Just watch again the Browns game, tied fourth yards per play against the screen. So just a lot of stuff on defense right now. That's like oof. This man, they're playing so well, but now it's like there's some definite gaps there right now. And I'm concerned about how they're going to defend the Ravens because the Ravens do oh, yeah. all of this stuff and the Ravens are a really bad matchup for this current version of the Jags defense. <laughs> the Ravens are like top six in play action efficiency and tops in play action usage and they run screens. Keaton Mitchell will take a screen for at least six, one screen for an explosive play, maybe a touchdown. That's that's my uh that's my that's my call out this week. I, I think that's a very reasonable Ke- thing. Keaton Mitchell out. screen for for a big gain, maybe a touchdown. And then at, on the other side of the ball, I, yeah. I'm genuinely concerned about the state of the offensive line and just it's, how banged up they are. When you watch it. them against that Browns defense, they got no shot. No and chance. They really miss Christian Kirk, and they're going to miss Christian Kirk. So we don't have to do this now. I'm fascinated by the offseason Jags conversation. Yeah. When they ultimately fall short of this tier, which I think they will, and I think Sunday is a good measuring stick to show us why, how do they get there? How do they end up closing the gap? To me, is going to be a really worthwhile discussion because I'm curious how they go about it. I am too. 
no offensive line, and then you're going. What is the Jags? That's the thing. It was so frustrating with this offense. Calvin Ridley's a free agent. Yes. So what do you uh, do so with your pass catchers? Other receivers, right? I think since Zay Jones are a free agent too, or they can get out of his contract or something. Yeah, I, I think I'm okay with moving on from no, the Zay Jones experience. No, I know. I'm just thinking everybody they got. So I'm I'm, I'm okay moving on from the Zay Parker, Jones experience. Parker Washington's been had some. You know, he he's the who got Trevor Lawrence injured because he didn't look, and then he had the fumble, but he did have that nice touchdown grab. He's I liked him. I did. I was surprised he went in the sixth round. I, I had a fourth round grade on him, but it's not that crazy. But yeah, he's a little better than uh, Jamal Agnew, who they've had out there for a lot of snaps this year. The other thing is we liked what this Jags offense was reconfiguring, going play action, using two tight ends, and it was like, okay, here we go. Offensive lines hurt, and do they go back to all the quick game stuff and underneath throws? Because why? Why, why I, say I, that? I think so. It's suicide against the Ravens to do that. Suicide. They're, they're, I think this game could get out of hand. Yeah. They're one of the best teams defending quick game and RPOs. And that's why I'm like, oh, boy, that's this formula could be rough for the for the Jags. That's one of the most frustrating parts about watching the Jags this year is when they start to have consternation about the protection, they turtle. And yeah. it makes it even worse. Yeah. It starts to compound some of the problems that they're having, especially when you don't have Christian Kirk out there. So I'm concerned about what the final product could look like in this game what, on Sunday. Yeah, God, remember the, the 49ers game is the best example. It's like they tur- start turtling, and you could tell at halftime they're like, "Open it up, we have to." And then it started working a little bit, and they had some turnovers. So they go Ravens, Bucks, Panthers, Titans. Okay, okay, but then yeah, come play off time. If you no, if no, you I win know, the but AFC South, I was just I got a little seven, scared. and then get stomped in, in the playoffs by these teams that we're talking about. I know. I, we were always curious what the gap looked like between them and the elite teams in the AFC, and it felt in moments this year like it was pretty small. Now it's starting to grow, and again, yeah. I think that Sunday's game is going to be a really good way to have that on display. Yep. Kyle Hamilton seemed like he avoided major injury last <laughs> week, so hopefully he will be back. That is great news because this Ravens defense is different with him out yeah. there, and he has played phenomenal football this year, so just it's one great. last thing to mention. All right, one more game specifically we wanted to hit. Eagles at Seahawks. Both of these teams are reeling a little bit right now. The Seahawks had a great performance offensively against the Cowboys, but they still lost. This Eagles team or the Seahawks team felt like they were locked to make the playoffs six weeks ago. Now that's in peril. The Eagles felt like they were arguably the best team in the league six weeks ago. That perception has really changed. I wanted to ask you what worries you most about the state of each of these teams and what we think needs to get fixed down the stretch for them to kind of get back into those conversations. Let's start with the Eagles. What worries you the most about the state of the Eagles right now? I the the defense first and foremost. Uh, I'll get to the offense in a sec. The defense uh, because I don't think they have a way. It's one of the worst units right now. Uh, just period. Uh, no no splice. No since this week. Now this personnel grouping. Any of that. Just straight up bottom five defense. And what worries me is where are the reinforcements coming. And because they've already dipped into the reinforcement pool, <laughs> you got Shaq Leonard <laughs> coming on over from Minneapolis. Linval Lin- Joseph isn't walking through that door this no, year. No, he's not. No, there's no Sue. There's no Sue coming through. So there's no. Uh, oh, what's his face? God dang it! I already ruined my joke. The the old uh, safety that signed with the Rams in the playoffs. Uh, uh, Eric Weddle. <laughs> Eric Weddle. There's no Eric Weddle coming through that door. But watching this defense and what they're getting picked at, especially the 49ers and Cowboys game. And that's where I, I could start and end this conversation is against those types of opponents. That's what has me worried because those teams, those elite teams of the NFC, they have answers against this defense that they, I don't think can stop. I don't think there's just one magic wand of coverage that they can do because their personnel along the spine, which they kind of need, but all, both linebacker spots, the nickel and the safety spots, 
that's almost half your starters on defense can get picked at. It's just hard to live that way. It doesn't matter who, how genius you are when an entire section of your defense is a weakness as opposed to, oh man, that number two corner, we can just, okay, well, you're still thrown to the outside and it's still kind of 50-50 ball. If you can work over the middle and have your way with it, that's just, it's, it's hard. And they're not stopping it's the run. It's really important to remember how different that group of players is right now compared to what it was last year. It's all safeties. different guys. All it's different. all different guys. Last year was TJ Edwards and Kaiser White. You had CJ Gardner-Johnson and Marcus Epps back there, who was playing very good football. And Avante Maddox was in the game. Who's so a good even player if Reed Blankenship yep. has been solid this year yep. and Kevin Byard has a very good reputation, it's not as good as it was no. last year at that position. The nickel is gone and the linebackers are gone. Kaiser White's playing excellent football for the Cardinals this year. And TJ Edwards is really solid. Yep. So you lose all of those guys, even if there are respectable replacements. I think it's really important to remember how different it all feels in those spots right now. And, and you look at their front and you're like, oh, Jalen Carter's playing great. Hassan Reddick's got more than 10 sacks again. So what, what's up? There was, it was, I had, I wrote about it last week and there's something. The run game, when you watch it, you can feel the difference between linebackers and safeties fit in the run. And that's the thing. We always think, oh, stop the run. That's the front. And the front might create edginess and they might create – they two guys might win and create all that stuff. But if there's nobody to clean it up, then those lead to Tony Pollard racing out and bouncing out. Like that's that's where you see some issues that you're giving up gashes in the run now. And the pass game, you can kind of have your way no matter – if a team can attack the middle in any way, shape, or form – Wanda, how you do that? Hey, let's put our number one receiver in the slot. Okay, if we could do that, that's hard to defend because how the Eagles have to play, they just don't have those answers. The corners are fine; they're still good players, but they're older and they're not what they were last year. That's they're so not that's, what they were last year in part because the front is not as dominant as it was last year. When you the ball. when you tie front and coverage together, the corners look so much better when they know the ball is coming out quickly, and that's what it felt like to play against the Eagles last year. We talked yes. about this last week. Even if a lot of the pieces are the same. And you swapped Jalen Carter in for Javon Hargrave. The front feels less dynamic this yep. year. It just feels when you're looking at the amount of games and twists and stunts they were doing. When you're playing offensive line, you feel that. When you're an offense, you feel that. And I don't think that they're creating that level of anxiety yep. against the offensive lines that they're playing against. Edginess. I just don't. It's a great word. Yep. Like I usually talk about like the offensive line. The guy, uh, he's getting turned by the defensive line. But here, it's just the whole defense does not create edginess. I know exactly what you're about to run. And we can beat it. And so I know where my matchup is. I'm going to attack that matchup because I know my guy's going to win. That's a impossible way to lift. The Cowboys got into 0-1 personnel or 10 personnel with four wide receivers and puts, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh my God, the slot, Roby. It puts Roby on CD Lamb in man coverage with no help. You're not winning. Like you can't yeah. win that way. That's just an impossible matchup. So it's just, it's very hard watching this defense right now because I don't know what the answer is. You don't think there is an answer. You think that I this is something that probably isn't going to get solved by the end of the year. I don't I, disagree with you. No, I, 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 against the best teams, no. I think they'll find ways because they're up front. They can beat up the lesser teams of the NFC. But guess what? We're about to get into the playoffs. And that's why. Yeah, it doesn't matter. When, what yeah, you do you, against bad teams no longer matters. It doesn't matter. So what do you do against the 49ers and Cowboys who you'll face at least one, maybe both in the playoffs? That's what gives me anxiety about watching them. I still am most worried about the defense, but when you watch the offense, there is just something missing still. Yeah. There is something missing. Watching the offense feels so unsatisfying right now. And I'd, it's hard to pinpoint exactly why, but I want us to kind of sit in that discomfort a little bit because that's how it should feel. There shouldn't be a real satisfying answer at the end of the road here because that's not what it feels like to watch this offense over the last few weeks. There's just something missing. There is no rhythm 
or feel to their drop back passing game right now. And when the RPOs, which is a bucket they could keep going back to over and over and over again last year, think about all the slide RPOs Mm -hmm. that they were able to do. Just so many easy buttons that they could press. That stuff just isn't there right now. I think teams have done such a great job of understanding how to defend that. There was a very specific play against the Cowboys where they're running that little pick and roll RPO that we talk about, where Devontae Smith is at number one, Goddard runs that little route to the flat, and then Smith, after setting the pick, kind of rolls to the middle of the field. They That was a great counter on that slide RPO that we talk about over and over and over again. The Cowboys just gloved it up. Yeah. And they just don't seem to have those places they can easily turn when they're struggling. So it feels all or nothing. It's a lot of go balls mm-hmm. and nothing else. So it they live in those extremes, and there's not a lot of down-to-down consistency. And the numbers don't bear that out because – Jalen Hurts has been able to make enough plays to keep their success rate and all those other things at a reasonable place. But when you watch it, it doesn't feel consistent. It's not in rhythm the way that you want an offense to feel right now. And when Hurts' time throws over three seconds and it's like, well, they must be – That's the stat to look at. They must be launching a ball over over and over. It's No, that's because nothing happens one to two. Everything's one, maybe – and then get into creation mode. And I think some of that is you talked about the RPO and we said some of the beauty of this Eagles offense was that they were kind of the Occam's razor. Well, no, no, they kind of lost that. Never mind. No, that's the, yeah. that's the offense coordinator. No, I'm not, I'm not giving that nickname. We'll ta- I'm not giving that nickname we'll- to the offense. I'm giving that to the, uh, to Steichen. We'll He's talk the about Occam's that in razor. a second. We'll talk yeah, about that in a second. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, but no, but what, but watching is like, Oh, they have great players. So why overthink it? Just run these nice, simple money plays. Well, defenses are smart. Defensive coordinators are very smart. Uh, Sean McDermott, when the Bills were playing them, they were they did that slide RPO, that tipped interception. I think Leonard Floyd ended up with the interception or the tip ball. Uh, I'm blanking. That sounds right. It sounds right. Yeah, that sounds right. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, um, I think it was. Uh, I, I, yeah, Epinesa had the pick against the Chiefs. That's what I'm thinking. Okay, of. yeah. I, yes, I, they yes. all played each other in the last couple of weeks. So now I'm like, yeah. okay, it's this one. Um, but yeah, the tip ball, whatever. That was a slide RPO. And Hurts was going to throw the slide. Slide is the tight end working across the formation and running to the flat. And when he was going to throw it, that was covered anyways. And the ball got tipped. And so no matter what, it was going to be a bang, bang, like zero yard gain or a ball got tipped by Floyd. The entire Bills defense was aware about what was about to come. They unfolded and kind of, you know, wiped out that entire play, which should be a simple, easy answer, easy button. The easy buttons have gotten, gotten completely wiped away from this offense. Um, I think the the run game still is there. And that's why I'm always just get frustrated with sometimes with the play calling. It's like, just pound the rock, repeat those play calls. And that's what I was talking about Shane Steichen. That, and that's, Where do you think they missed Steichen? Because yeah. you, you really commended him last year for how much he was willing to go back to the well over and over yes. again with certain things. And that's the that, it almost feels like that's missing from the way yes. that they're approaching the run game this year. They they got too many plays itis right now. The the we have all these plays that we want to get to, and that's what the genius of Shane Steichen. That's what the Occam's Razor coach was. He was he would find the simplest answer always, and then if you took it away, he'd find the next simplest answer. You do this, we'll do that. But if you don't take it away, we're just gonna keep doing it. We just repeat that call. Watch the Giants game last year um, when we talked about this before the 49ers conference championship game. All these there's multiple examples of this. I've tweeted several over the years. Steichen, if they run the ball and it worked, like it went for eight yards, he's going to run it again. And if it went for six yards, he's going to run it again. And then he'll run it. I've multiple drives over the last couple of years where he's run the same exact run, same formation, same motion, same play, at least five times on a drive. I watch this Eagles offense now. They run the ball and it works. Next play, they got a pass. Or next play, they go run. They do a different run. And then it's, oh, we got two first downs. Pass, pass, pass. And I feel like just 
they're trying to make everyone happy. And I, AJ Brown is a little volatile. And I, I think there's some of that where they're like, hey, we got to make sure he gets the ball, he gets fed, he gets his targets. But teams are starting to take him away. And I think it's like the simplest answer is to run it. And I think sometimes they're overthinking it. They're trying to get a little too cute. And I think that leads to some lack of rhythm that Hertz has right now where he's like, uh, uh, okay, I got to make this play. Now it's second and 10. Oh, we got pass again. We can't run it on second and 10. Pass again. Now it's third and 10. And then if you watch what the Cowboys did, they blitzed them, made them throw short of the sticks. And now it's fourth and six. We can't even do the sneak. So it, it's they're getting gamed right now. And that's what it really feels when I watch it. Even if they can create an explosive play at any moment. I just and that, feel but like- that ability for those explosive plays to wipe away everything else, I think, confuses the way that we talk about this yes. offense, and it makes it a little bit hard <laughs> to bucket them because it's not all bad. And again, the numbers the, are actually okay. I keep talking about the Bills game. Hurts finished with five touchdowns. They had all I these know. yards, huge plays. They, and we were talking about this, and I finally figured out what this feels like, why this offense is like some of the stats are okay and they create explosives. It's the 2021 Bengals. Hey, down to down, they're frustrating. They're siloed. They kind of get too simple. They're relying too many times on go balls. And then, but then it's like, but then they hit three go balls in a row and they score, they score a touchdown in a hurry. And it's like, oh, oh, okay. But like, just that, that feeling. I'm so glad that you brought this up because the comparison that I would make for where I feel like this Eagles offense has lacked a little bit is to the Bengals. They were very similar. Think back to who this team, these teams were last year. The, they didn't run a lot of motion. It was nope. a lot of static sets, and yep. because their players were just better, so we thought, okay, this is the style of play that we Don't can overthink live with it. that a lot of other teams can't. Let's not overthink it. But even before Joe Burrow got hurt this year, you saw some of the new layers of innovation that were creeping in for the Bengals. You saw that, and that staff had been together, and they can continue to build on who they were last season. It feels like with elevating Brian Johnson, the Eagles. Not, to no fault of their own, I understand thinking of it this yeah. way is we just need to tap into what we did last year. We need to maintain the continuity about what we did last year. And I think you've seen some of that staticness and who they are start to creep in and have a real effect, especially when you compare it to a team like Cincinnati that even before the Burrow injury was really starting to trot out some different things. And yes. I do think that that has had an impact. The running game stuff, like you mentioned, the one stat I wanted to throw out, they're fourth in early down pass rate, fourth in neutral situation early down pass rate. When they run the football in those situations out of their 11 personnel looks that they love, they're second in success rate on running back runs out of 11 personnel. On early it's not even runs. evolving hurts. Just, just straight running back runs. Just run the ball. Pound it. Just it's, run the ball. If you so want to annoying. evolve hurts, draws. Don't yeah. let him read stuff out. The quarterback draw stuff was working very well against the Cowboys. It was. But that's the only thing that they can lean on right now because yeah. their passing game is either go balls or motioning to empty. That's all it was against Dallas. And when you don't have that many places to turn, again, that down-to-down consistency starts to struggle. It's blowing my mind that it's like, wow, they're just clouding A.J. Brown and that discombobulates the entire offense. You have Dallas. But it is. It is. They have the the simplest answer to cloud coverage. This is the Randy Moss conundrum, Justin Jefferson, Devontae Adams, all these ace receivers run the ball or have secondary options that can win. Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard can't win. It, that and you don't run the ball. They have answers for what they're getting, getting given right now. It's just very frustrating. They're not finding them, even if they are what like eighth right now in offense. Like they're they're up there in everything, but it's just like again when you're going against these elite units, that's what kind of causes it. And some of it too is some of that confusion, and unevenness is how you mentioned the QB read game. Is that how Hertz is reading it out? He I think at times is not getting to the number two. He did once against the Cowboys on the first drive. He hit uh, Goddard on a on a dig, 
And it was great. It's a high low that they run a million times. And he finally hits the deep route on it. It's like, okay, there we go. Never does it again the entire game. The QB, the QB run game has been awful for them this entire year. Finally had some success last week because they took the read element off. Like you just said, straight draws. No more him deciding on, like, is that end crashing? Is he bending out? Or whatever they have to read on the play. But again, it's like, the fact that that like you're taking that away, usually you want to give him that license to do it. So that it's just there's just that unevenness, and I think he's straining to try and make big plays over and over because he's feeling it too. And I think that's causing some down to down because sustainability right now. They could still get the explosives, but I don't think he's seeing it down to down right now. They had a full practice on Thursday compared to the normal walkthrough that they have in an effort to kind of shape things up a little bit. So they're feeling this too, and we'll see if they can manage to kind of come out on the other side. What worries you most about where the Seahawks are right now? So the Eagles, the defense is still number one. If you're looking at the Seahawks team and the gap between who we thought they were and who they are at this moment, what worries you the most about what's creating that space? Well, hopefully Geno can be healthy. But the the other thing is the the defense too. And there's – it's kind of different from the Eagles where I think – I don't think this defense is very good right now. They're they're okay stopping the run. But it's that when they – because of Jamal Adams, because of Bobby Wagner, because of like how those guys have to play, they have to play in a certain way. They are kind of caught with the guys that they invested in. Bobby Wagner is their green dot. He's a legend. And I've talked about this before, but Jamal Adams is a guy they traded several first rounders for. <laughs> so these guys have carte blanche to be the guy, but they are also provide. They're taking away too much from the table as opposed to what they're putting onto the table. And yes, they, they can do certain things really well. Bobby Wagner, not so much these days, but Jamal Adams can do certain things. He's a good blitzer. Not bad in the box and everything. The 49ers isolated him every single time he was in the box. It was actually kind of, kind of rough. But, <laughs> but again, because of those two, they have to, that Seahawks defense has to play a certain way. Then they become predictable. When Jamal Adams is in the slot, I'm looking over there because I'm going to, I'm going to put the protection all the way over there. But because of those players, I do think they have some ways of playing okay. But those two are just limiting it at all. So that's why they're going to be on the field. They're not benching Bobby Wagner and Jamal Adams. And if, as long as those two are on the field, I think this whole defense is going to be caught where they can't be anything. I think average at best is, is the best. And I re- really think it's more below average, especially against the pass, because they just don't have answers because of that personnel limitation. And when you consider some of the urgent moves that they made this offseason, going out and signing Draymond Jones to that contract, trading yes. a second-round pick for Leonard Williams, yes. landing in this spot at slightly below average is a concern. Yeah. I'll probably say this till I'm blue in the face. I still have optimism about the offense. I do too. Maybe it's just that Dallas game sticking in my mind. I will say, I'll admit this, even as somebody who loves watching Geno when he's slinging it, the margins in that Dallas game were incredibly thin. <laughs> The, the plays that he's making, and the, the first touchdown to DK, the go ball to DK down the yeah. left sideline. Yeah. There was an out route. High wire Tyler, there was an out route he threw to Tyler Lockett that it like I don't even know how to describe it. It like landed in in Lockett's hands. Lockett just like stuck his hands up, just almost in desperation, Magnet. and the ball just like got caught in his hands. I mean, that's that was the ball placement they were seeing. Even there were even incompletions in that game. He had one where he stepped up in the pocket and just launched it 50 yards. Oh my god! And they got a DPI on it. But if Lockett had kept running and not come back to it, it was actually a perfect throw. And then there was, was an a odd one. There was a PI in the end zone on a double post that Gilmore got called on. Yeah. The placement on that throw was insane. Like when he's hot, it is so fun to watch. And I'm I'm starting to worry that that is clouding my judgment <laughs> about who they are is because he is stylistically so – there's fun. so much excitement. <laughs> like yeah. When you watch him, the, the, his style of play 
and what he is like as a thrower in his best moments. I think that's starting to cloud my judgment a little bit about what the Seahawks offense is. Again, about early down success rate stuff, there are a lot of numbers that back this up. They've just been an epic disaster on third down. But I'm starting to get to a place where I'm willing to admit that the enjoyment I get from watching Geno Smith throw a football right now maybe is causing me to overrate the overall status of the Seahawks offense. It's the Michael Bay offense. The Michael Bay quarterback. It's like, you just remember the big explosions. Don't care about plot. <laughs> Story arc. That's characterization. exactly what it feels like right now. I, we don't have time to have this conversation now about Seattle, but I think similar to Jacksonville, if they don't get in to the playoffs, I know, I know the Jags will, but if, if yeah. the Seahawks don't, or if they just get dismantled by Dallas in the wild card round, whoever they play, what do we think the hardest conversation is going to be this offseason? Because there are going to oh. be some hard conversations coming. Them and the Jags. And again, where we thought they might be before the season, where they ended up, and the gap between those two, and what they need to do to correct that, those are two of the off-season conversations that I'm most looking forward to having, even if they're going to be tough. Yeah, I, I think the Adams conversations could be huge. That that one is like, because they have to. It's not just me being mean, because he's mean to people on Twitter. It's just, this is how he is right now. Post-injury, he just doesn't have the juice. Just watch what watch the Debo Samuel touchdown, which one? But the, the big over-route touchdown. Jamal Adams is just caught frozen and he's supposed to be looking that he's there on that route i've already gone on this rant but i have to again he's on that route or on that coverage to take away that route that is literally why he's there and he just gets blown by it's and just have the first play the christian mccaffrey touchdown he's on the left hash and he ends up all the way on outside the right numbers and he's at he starts at five yards he ends up at 10 yards and it's a run play how are you working five yards back and 20 yards to the side on a run play? And it ends up being a huge gain. So that's a huge conversation. Deciding the quarterback with Geno and, and a succession plan. Ah, oh, man. It's, yeah, this Seahawks team, because we thought they kind of like put a few chips into this middle this season. It's just like, it's interesting. It's like they have so many limitations right now that it's like, wow, how are you guys going to kind of figure out your next answer from that? As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Those are all the big Sunday games that we wanted to hit. There are three big Saturday games that have huge implications on the wild card race. Five teams. The Lions, I think we've talked a lot about their defense. They almost fit the Eagles-Seahawks conversation that we just had. So we're not going to spend much time on the Lions today. But the five other teams playing on Saturday are all right in this thing, in the wild card race. So rather than talk about these games individually, I wanted to zoom back a little bit and just ask you. Among these five teams, the Vikings, the Bengals, the Steelers, the Colts, and the Broncos... Which unit on these teams is the scariest proposition in the playoffs if they were to get in? Which which unit among these 10 could do the most damage if they were to actually sneak into the postseason? And this is not even – I didn't even have to look at stats or anything for this. And this is just me as a quarterback and offensive guy. This is the Vikings defense is the scariest unit because it's going against just hell. And try and discern what they're trying to do. So the Vikings defense is just, I'm glad I, I finally got to study it. And I'm so glad I did because I have some stuff here. Just you. Wait. What is working? <laughs> well, and I don't, Woo! I don't disagree with you. I'm, I'm going to throw out a couple different okay. answers yeah, just yeah. for the sake of conversation. I do think the Vikings are probably the scariest based on where they are yeah. right now and what Brian Flores is doing on a very simple level. Cause somebody asked me this on Twitter yesterday. I thought we dug into it a little bit, but let, let's stretch our legs here. Why is this working? What are the Vikings doing that's giving teams a hard time? <laughs> it's the classic big brother. I'm not hitting you. I'm not hitting you. And then they punch you in the face. Uh, that's what this defense does. They show a blitz look, I would say, every single snap. And and they also, by personnel, it, are creating a lot of issues just by body types. So they are creating a five-man front on almost every snap. But what they're doing with it, they're not going three defensive linemen and two linebackers. They have five true defensive linemen types across the across the front and then in the box they have ivan pace and they put metellus down there and so they're creating a five one five personnel grouping josh metellus is somebody that i think a lot of casual football fans probably do not know a lot about he is a positionless player truly he is lined up in every single spot for this team they he just signed a contract extension this year deserved one he's one of the more unique players in the league it is awesome to watch a player that maybe doesn't have a traditional box to place him in land in a defense that makes that a strength rather than a weakness. And yes. Josh Metellus has been the best example of that this year. So yes. I want people to actually understand a little bit about who he is, because while we talk about him in those terms, maybe I don't think a lot of people who are just watching random Vikings games knows what Josh Metellus has been to this defense. It's and like how they, like you say, how they use him is perfect. He also wears forty four, which I, I I'm a sucker for whatever reason for forty four. Like I don't know, forty four to me is always a good football number because it's like if it's a good player, then you're like, yeah, like yeah, that that works. That's like Chris Borland in college. 
He was like, it's, it was perfect. My, I, I loved, even before we were friends, I, I think you and, and Barnwell used to always gush about Borland, right? Yeah. And Chris that was, Borland. That was a bit on the Grant One yeah. NFL podcast. Chris Borland's legit one of my friends and huge board game nerd as well. Uh, very, very smart guy. And But watching him, we I when I transferred to Wisconsin, he was a freshman. And I said this. I remember I said this to some of the equipment guys there because the equipment guys at Wisconsin were awesome. And I said, I was like, he might be my favorite football player I've ever watched. Because the, his freshman year, incredible. freshman year, he blocked several punts. He was the designated pass rusher on pass rushing downs with J.J. Watt and O'Brien Schofield. It was m- they're monsters together. Uh, and then on base downs, he was just a normal off-ball linebacker. But he had a vicious spin move that like worked every time. Watch him against Miami. Watch him destroy Chantrell Henderson. But also, he was returning kicks because he was the up back. So he would return kicks. He also was the emergency kicker. He had a kick against Hawaii because our kicker got hurt. He, he my that. favorite football player, period. But anyways, why this this aggressive look? We told we min maxing is a term we've used. They drop where eight. they're either dropping eight or blitzing six or more at the highest rates in the NFL. Yes, that min maxing I think is a great term for this. But by being so chaotic, they're making def- offenses simple because of just of how they play their fronts. You only can get to certain plays because it's the threat of the blitz. So we we have to make sure our protection is sound. We don't want to do this pass play because we have to get the ball out or they drop eight on the same thing in the run game. They have they make you basic because everybody's flat across the board. You only can run certain looks against that. You can't pull anybody. The Vikings have faced 33 plays this year that feature an, uh, an offensive lineman pulling dead last 31st. That's a fascinating stat. That's such thir- a good stat. That's it's 31st, so telling. 31st has 49. So about one a game, you know, more, but no one pulls on them because you can't, because if they blitz you, it's dead. And so they take away that you can't run duo, which is my, okay, that's why, oh, pound it on them. Just, but then I started kind of breaking it down. I'm like, you can't run duo because they're flat across the board. So it's all single teams. And that when on duo, if it's single teams, the running back is usually going to bounce it. But then have you seen the Vikings DBs tackle? Yeah. They just, they just mow it down. Sure enough. Uh, they are, they've only faced 15 duo runs this entire year. 31st in the league. So, okay, what's the best run play against Blitzlux? Zone. They face third most zone plays this entire year. So they know that, though. They know what you're going to run zone. Okay, once in a while we get gashed by it. You know who faces the most zone looks? The Patriots. And that's where this defense is most like. It obviously makes sense. Brian Flores' background. The 2017 Patriots is this defense. And I know that because I was with the Raiders, and we played against that team in Mexico City, and it was a pain and uh, I try not to swear anymore on the show, paying the fucking ass. But that it, that defense, I, it clicked for me. Metellus is Patrick Chung. Ivan Pace is Landon Roberts. Daniil Hunter is Trey, Trey Flowers. He's much better, but he's Trey Flowers. Um, Kyle Van Noy or DJ Wanham is Kyle Van Noy. They go five Which, across. That's one of the more fascinating ones because Wanham's ability to play in coverage yes. based on what he has been for most of his career has been one of the more fascinating revelations in watching the a Vikings. He's a defensive end. He's a he true was just DF. running down the seam with Michael Mayer last week. It's that. And uh, yeah, and then you got these smart DBs. Think of McCourty, Malcolm Butler, Stephon Gilmore. It's This is what it reminds me of. And even just their blitz numbers, their cover zero numbers, their cover two numbers, they match a lot of that. Also, have to go on a little quick rant here. Some of the data is wrong on some of the blitz look and coverage numbers. Everyone, because uh, we, we talked about this. Wow, they're not running a lot of man coverage. Wow, that's interesting. They're running zero cover zero double, where two guys, the both safeties are doubling two of the receivers. It's man. 
it just looks like quarters are covered too to a or two man if you're not you know this this used to be my job guys so it's like this is what yeah this I had to break down so some of the data is wrong multiple times against the Raiders I was like hey, I'm curious what they call this and I looked and yeah. they called it cover four or they called it cover two and I was like no that is man so they are running man uh, but it's just zero double which is but it's not cover one. No, that, that's the biggest that's difference, the difference to me. And, and what's awesome to watch this season with Brian Flores, I had, I loved my conversation that I had with him during training camp where I was just asking him, what do you think will be different taking a year away from being a head coach and calling defenses and the experience you had in Pittsburgh? And we talked about the Steelers using cover two as a change up with yeah. some of those fire zones that they bring. So they're blitzing, but playing zone behind it. And I think he considered that a potentially cool addition as part of his overall equation. So I thought like Dan Quinn, where they would still be a man cover one heavy team, but some of these funky versions of cover two would be a more consistent change up for a Flores team than it had been in the past. And I was like, okay, that'll be fun mm-hmm. to watch. Instead, they went from running 40% cover one in Miami in 2020 when he was the head coach there, which was number one in the league by a lot, to 6% this year with the Vikings, which is dead last in the league. Think about that. 40% to 6%. They run the most cover too, even if that's a little noisy, of any team in the NFL. So instead of it being a changeup, he went completely against type from the way yeah. that he had played when they were in Miami. And I think that that's coaching. That's yeah. why he has done, in my opinion, him and Mike McDonald, we'll talk about this when we do a year-end award show, I'm sure, have done <laughs> the most impressive defensive coaching jobs in the NFL. And it's because of how much he's been willing to innovate and throw different shit out there than he ever has in the past. Yeah. But that's the thing. It's like Spags and Schwartz have done a great job, but they just did what they always done. They just had yeah. personnel to finally do what they wanted to do. <laughs> so Spags is running the stuff he used to run with the Giants. Like, it's just funny. He's just like, oh, I got guys now. Here we go. Let's have some fun. Um, but they're the, the lack, that's the thing. I don't want to say like, oh, they're running, they're still running man. Uh, it's that a lot of the looks, and I went back and watched some 2017 Patriots because I, I got in on this. I was like, oh, okay. I had a thread here I was pulling at. Uh, the differences with that defense was they did run a lot of man, while this defense will just do spot drop cover three, spot drop cover four, uh, spot drop cover two. They while mean, blitzing, though. While blitzing or showing yes. the blitz look. And that is another thing where they know, okay, if we're going to give you a blitz look, they know what offenses are trying to get, uh, how you attack that. A lot of screens. They face the most screens of anybody in the NFL, and they're pretty good at defending them. But also, quick game. Uh, all those types of things. We got to get the ball out. They know that, too. And want to know what's the best way to stop quick game? Blitz or drop eight. Because drop eight, you flood the passing lanes like a 2-3 zone. And if you blitz, you have to, you make the quarterback throw hot. And so this is why I've kind of been uh, like saying that maybe this the this offense or this defense, I'm sorry, is the parameter of like good QB play and poor QB play or inexperienced QB play, I should say, is because he dares you to drop back and find the second answer because he's going to take away the hot answer based on how everybody plays and how what they're showing you every play. Which is why I'm fascinated about what yes. he's going to look like against the Bengals this week. Because the Bengals offense is a worthwhile answer here based on the way that they've played over the last couple of weeks with Jake Browning. But we talk about that Jags defense being easily manipulatable. Yeah. This Vikings defense is the opposite of that. They're manipulating you. Yeah. So what Jake Browning looks like against this or and think about Gus Bradley. We, we know what Gus Bradley does. Yeah. So you have Every these play. defenses where you can pull the levers the way that you want to. The Vikings are the opposite. I said this this week a couple different times, and I meant it. You shouldn't make sweeping quarterback proclamations 
after playing the Vikings. It would be a dangerous thing to do this year, but I do think it's going to be the biggest test that Jake Browning has faced by far and is going to give us some more information about this this Bengals team if they were to get in. So the Bengals offense is a worthwhile answer to this question of which unit would be the most dangerous. Let's put a pin in it till next week, and then then we can revisit what the Bengals offense would look like. I think the Vikings defense is the correct answer to this question. I I think even the Steelers defense at its best, I wouldn't throw them in there. The Colts, it's been a fun year, but neither of their units rise to that level. The other one that I would potentially throw out, again, we talked about the Bengals offense. The Broncos defense is interesting to me right now. Ooh, The way the Broncos defense is playing, when you combine it with sort of these drunken swings that you're getting from Russ and the Broncos offense. So I'm cheating a little bit where it's not just one unit. It's the combination of the two. But what the formula is on offense, where it's just kind of run the ball, a couple deep shots with (laughs) a couple off schedule plays, a couple deep shots from Russ and Cortland Sutton combined with this defense. I like what the Broncos defense is doing. And I think it's taken a couple weeks, the game against the Texans Mm -hmm. for me to truly believe that this wasn't just fumble luck based. They've done a lot of stuff where I think, okay, I get this. And you can actually point to some tangible things as to why they've been so much different. So they're 11th in defensive success rate since week seven, three things that happened in week seven. Jaquan McMillian goes into the slot where he has made tons of plays. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. been a really exciting yeah. player. Especially how aggressive they've been. Year. Yeah, yeah. Fabian Moreau stepped in as a starting outside corner yes. who has been a solidifying force out there. And my guy, Baron Browning, came back. Yes, he did. <laughs> what they are doing with the pass rush, their blitz looks and how unhinged some of this stuff yeah. is, they're giving teams problems. Yep. They are seventh in EPA per dropback when blitzing since week seven. Okay. And when they when That's they're bringing extra though. bodies, you can sense how teams are struggling yes. to deal with it. The Texans did so that combination of we have real juice up front. We figured out our back end. PJ Locke getting back into the lineup. Mm-hmm. Justin Simmons playing the way that he is. Obviously, you have Patrick Sertan yep. moving Drew Sand. Another thing that happened around that week seven point moving Drew Sanders to the line of scrimmage instead of having him play as an off ball linebacker because as a rookie he was his head was spinning. Yeah. So now he's mostly played on the line. So they've figured out their personnel and this blitz heavy style that they're playing, I think really lends to the players that they have. And I do think that Browning is like a really good player. Yeah. So all of that stuff kind of falling into place. I'm interested in Zach Allen's playing better. I'm interested in what this Broncos team could do if they got in. I don't think I would have said that even three weeks ago. No. So I do think the Vikings are the best answer, but I I did want to give some love to what feels different about this Broncos team. This is how I feel about the Broncos team. It's like I knew they would be a kind of a a better team than their initial record was. But at first, a couple weeks ago, it was kind of a bit. Like, oh, yeah, I had them in the playoffs. Look at them. They're winning some games. Now it feels a lot more tangible. I keep calling them the jiu-jitsu team where they just get you on the ground and they're just going to make it ugly and roll around with you. And all of a sudden they win. And you're like, what the what the hell? They they just won 2017? Yeah, I guess that's how they do it. But I agree that the defense feels tangible. I feel like the aggression has been palpable when you watch them. The Texans game and then last week against the Chargers, they gamed them up. They just kept bringing the same blitz and the Chargers had no answer for it. Uh, so that's a weapon. And when you have the best corner in the league in Sertan, like that's remember all those Rex Ryan teams with Revis. The best thing to have when you're blitzing is have a lockdown corner because they'll take one away guy. that number one option. So it, they're, they're figuring out a formula that works for them. Really cool slate on Saturday. Very excited yeah. to watch those games because they have real implications. So the fact that that Saturday slate is just full of games that have a really big impact potentially on the wild card race is going to make that a really nice day. All right, before we get out of here, I wanted to hit our fourth screen email of the week. This one from Paul Marion. He says, hi, Robert and Nate. It's been a while since I've asked you to watch my favorite team on your fourth screen. Truth is, I feel bad about doing it. 
I'm an Australian fan. I follow my team by choice, not some accident of geography or family. And subjecting you to a team that should not be relevant in this NFL season feels like a cruelty I'm wishing upon you. But the Jets go to Miami this week. They shouldn't win. Zach Wilson has already had the one good half he has every season. The (laughs) Dolphins are favored by more than a touchdown. By all rights, this should be a snoozer where Miami methodically buries the Jets. But if they don't, if the Jets somehow win, well, the Jets end the season with the Washington football team, the Browns, and the Patriots, as winnable of any set of games are for the Jets, and that gets them to 9-8. and eight. And the Dolphins finish with the Cowboys, Ravens, and Bills, all readily losable, which would bring them to 9-8. and eight. If the Jets win, they're still in the playoff picture, and that means you get to witness a 40-year-old man do something unconscionably stupid and try to play an NFL football game in the same season he tore his Achilles tendon. (laughs) And if they lose, they're guaranteed to end the season with a losing record, and we can safely ignore them until March, saving our time, our metaphorical ink, and our sanity for watching teams that matter. So come join me as the Jets either come home with their shield or on their shield. Thanks, Paul. Nice. I like that. That was a great one. That's but I also idea. like that. That's a good. That's a good game. That yeah. Dolphins offense against Jets defense matchup. I'm excited to watch that this the, weekend. The Jets defense keeps getting these interesting matchups on offense. I'm like, so I keep peeking these games, even if they're a little ugly. <laughs> but it's like also hey, wanted to shout out shout out Ju- Joe Lucarelli who rewrote the lyrics to Living on a Prayer to make it about Tommy DeVito. We didn't end up picking that one, but I really appreciated the effort that Joe put in. So thank you, Joe. <laughs> thank you, Joe. Ah. Uh, Oh, let's yeah. hit Tyson's Towson. Let's get out of here. Let's Very quick here. wins league update just for everyone. It's over. I'm down by seven. The Chargers sunk me as they should have. It's a fitting end. I died how I lived. And right. sometimes that's what you want. Uh, I'm going to pay off this bet during Super Bowl week. Again, we're not saying what it is because I don't want it to lose the juice, but I've just fully prepared myself emotionally. So congratulations to you, you for winning our wins league pool. Thank you. Before Christmas. You got us home before Christmas. That, uh, I'm seven I, I, games back. It's fucking over. I, I've re- I'm resigned to my fate. Yeah, uh, six, what are your- 63 points to the to the Raiders was kind of a bad way to kind Listen, of I, get, I deserve I deserve <laughs> oh, every bit of this. I deserve the fate that I'm about to endure. I I'm not oh. looking forward to it. I'm actually oh. really sad about it because I think it would have been so much funnier if you had to do it for reasons that may become clear to people later. But now that I do, I it's become far less funny. Oh, I still think it's funny. Uh, don't you worry. Don't you worry. Uh, uh, again, to my touts, speaking of teams that are trying to sink us, I'm taking the Falcons this week. Minus three at the Panthers. <laughs> I was a year early on the Falcons. I'm going to concede that one. I was a year early. But watch out for that 2024 Falcons team. I'm going to be very annoying about the Falcons, Colts, and probably Cardinals this offseason. I, I think those are going to be the teams where everyone goes, you guys hype this up with too much. I can't wait. Uh, but then I'm going to go Commanders at Rams minus six and a half. I'm taking the Rams minus six and a half. I think they're a good team. I think that Ravens game has brought a lot of eyeballs to this Rams team. They're good. When they're healthy, they're good. That offense can go gangbusters on anybody. And I think the defense is very frisky. This That Commanders defense is the worst in the league, I think, since they made those trades. Um, of course, fired Del Rio. And then I think the offense is just kind of hit and miss. But again, last one. I'm taking three favorites this week, actually. I'm going Packers minus three and a half, hosting the Bucks and old NFC Central tilt. Uh, the Battle of the Bays, whatever you want to get at. But I think the Packers team is pretty good, or at least interesting. And I'm, I'm actually curious to watch that matchup. So I think that's maybe why I want to put action on it. Breaking news as we finish this up the Chargers have fired Brandon Staley and Tom Telesco. Uh, everything that I said at the beginning of the show is what I think about this. So yep. nothing, nothing, nothing changed. No context. Nothing changes. Nothing. Everything I said to start hey. this thing off is how I feel about how this is gone. So uh, yeah, uh, uh, just revisit that. If you want to know how we feel about the Chargers moving on from Brandon Staley. 
All right, guys, that's all we got. Again, thank you so much for sticking with us and for being okay with this coming out a little bit later than normal. We will be back on Sunday night doing our thing. Great set of games. Cannot wait for that show. In the meantime, please listen to everything else that we've got on the Athletic Football Show feed. Really fun episode in the pocket this week. Really good stuff on Prospects of Pros with Nate and Dane. Really good. It's Kiefer in the Beats. Tons of stuff. It's always worth checking out. So please go listen to all of that. And also, please come back and spend your time with us on Sunday. In the meantime, enjoy your weekend. Appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was the Athletic Football Show.